0: Welcome to this last edition of Real Real Podcast. I'm your host, Surreal Gerald Quinn, episode 900. That's going back relatively 15 years. It'll be 16 years um, in October officially, but we, are, you know, we you know how we do. We always celebrate. We always start out the 16th the the next year, like in August. When we start talking and getting to getting to the NFL and what have you, been a long time. Been a long time. A lot of episodes. A lot of guests. A uh, lot of name changes. A lot of technology. I remember, I used to do this podcast on my cell phone. Believe it or not, it's some headphones, and I'm talking about headphones that you would have, uh, like, like Walkman, like headphones. So we have come a long way. I definitely appreciate the support from everybody who has we used to call in. I remember we used to do a call in show on Block Talk Radio or has supported the podcast, even if you've never commented or called in, just just support the podcast in any particular way, shape, or form. You are know, definitely appreciated. And I haven't again I wasn't just, this episode was supposed to be about snowfall, the latest episode of Snowfall I was I couldn't do y'all like that. I had to give y'all some 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 gems, some um, some goodies as far as the sports and pop culture. and I mean, We have a special, special show. I've been looking forward to this show. I uh, was thinking about it a lot late early this morning, last night. So we're going to get right into it. But again, thank, thank thank I thank everybody out there who has went out their way to support this podcast. And we will continue to grow, continue to evolve as I evolve as a person. As a human, as a person, human being, uh, this podcast will continue to evolve as well. Let's get right to it. Um, I came in talk thinking that when this fight was announced, I came in thinking that I was going to be talking about one of the great fights in recent memory uh, in terms of uh, Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence. Instead, we got one of the great performances in recent memory. Uh, if anybody watched that fight, if you hadn't heard about it, uh, Terrence Crawford made history last night, becomes the first two-division uh, unified champion, four-belt champion, two-division uh, two-belt champion, and first male. Shout out to Clarissa uh, Carissa, uh, Carissa Fields, who, who's done it as a woman. um, As well, in terms of that that, that Rare accomplishment, and there have been about eight, to, I believe, around eight to ten guys that have won, that have had, that have been undisputed champions, have all four belts in the division. That that list is very short. I mean, you're talking like Canelo's and Bernard Hopkins, and Bernard Hopkins. I think Roy Jones is on that list as well. But the, he's on. He just created his own list with one of the signature performances, one of the dominant performances you will ever see. And this is not me. In a moment. This is not hyper uh, hyperbole. This is this I I'm, as I'm watching this match, I'm saying this is one of the best boxing performances I've ever I've ever seen in my life. Like is I like, that's what's going on in my head in real time as I'm watching him destroy a guy in Errol Spence, who was considered to be a generation generational talent in his own right. I mean, Errol Spence came in undefeated. Errol Spence came in uh with a, with a lot of momentum. Coming I mean, into his fight, he came in. Um Errol Spence is a great, great fighter in his own right. Errol Spence would be a Hall of Fame fighter when it's said and done. He's a so don't I don't want to hear about this narrative, you know, Errol Spence is overrated, though. No. Every so often, an athlete reaches a point where the talent and physical ability, their physical ability and their 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 IQ, if they have a high sports IQ. When those two mesh, it becomes a perfect storm. And it, things can get scary for the competition. I, I think of two guys in my lifetime, in particular Michael Jordan, game one, uh, 92 NBA Finals. He is, scores 35 points against Portland. Tiger Woods, US Open 2000, where he wins, he won it by like 15 strokes. And it was like, ooh, like this is, he, this, this dude is a major problem. Like, He's going to be a problem for the next decade. I'll put Terrence Crawford's performance up there with, forget about boxing, but uh, frankly, with any athlete that I've seen in the last 10 to 15, maybe 20 years, that's how dominant a performance that was. Like, you can't fight a better fight. And to me, it was more impressive. Like, it was that that was more impressive than just knocking Spence out the first round. Because that, you're talking about for nine rounds. And that's the thing about boxing. You can be knocked out, but you can also be tortured for for a lot for you know, for nine rounds, especially if you have a lot of pride and have a good chin. Errol Spence has a great chin because he took some shots. Like most guys would have been went down much sooner. So I give Errol Spence he his his chin and his current, his his heart, his chin should never be in question. Cause he took he took some like he took some nuclear weapon shots. Like like shots that would have put people in the hospital. He probably went to the hospital anyway. But shots that like he, he like his. You look at his face. You look at his eye. Like I thought personally, I thought they should have stopped the fight. And I think the, the round where he was knocked down twice. I think that was the sixth round where he knocked him down twice. I like they easily could have stopped the fight a couple times. I thought they should have stopped the fight at that point. But this was you know in boxing you could you can get tortured for eight. 9, 10, 11, 12 rounds. Like we've seen the like, like I've seen Bernard Hawkins and I've seen, you know, Floyd Mayweather just methodically just take their opponents apart. And, and, and either, you know, in a in a sense to even toy with them. You know, I'm not gonna knock you out. I'm not I'm not gonna make this clean clean and clean and quick. I'm going to, you know, make you just suffer. And this 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 was, this was like this is like this was worse than this was I can't even say death by a thousand cuts because these those punches were not just but those punches were those punches were landed at a accuracy rate that is just unheard of. Crawford landed fifty percent of his punches and sixty percent of his power punches. Those numbers in boxing are just unheard of. Like you don't hear like you don't see those type of numbers in boxing in boxing at this level. Like we see the against like when you, when Crawford is fighting somebody that a lesser day, but somebody that we don't know, or you have a champion, you have a world champion fighting some guy that's just you know, he's just a appointed to get him to his next fight per se, you won't see that kind of, we'll see that kind of, those kind of numbers. Even in that, even in those mismatches, we don't see those kind of numbers. For this to happen in a fight between two undefeated, undefeated champions, again, it's something that I've never seen before. I've never, I've never seen a fight where one, where one guy dominate is, is that much better than the other guy, considering what was on the line and considering that they're both in relatively in their primes. Now again, I know Crawford's thirty five, is thirty three. Remember, age in sports are not are not the same as what with the, what they used to where used to be. Considering nutrition, considering how how these guys' training methods and all the everything that they have at their disposal is just not the same. Guys like we saw, you know, Bernard Hawkins fought till he was fifty. So, you know, and, and these guys are probably are with, you know, with medical science are in better shape than him. He was in tremendous condition. So, these guys are, are in their peak, in their prime. And, you know, Crawford just absolutely took him apart. You know, he eliminated his jab, took away the jab, and he turned it into a weapon where his jab became the weapon. We thought Spence would have an advantage with the jab. That was not the case. Everybody, everybody who liked Spence. I was talking about how strong he was and his power and strength would be too much for Crawford. Crawford looked like the stronger fighter physically. He looked stronger. Like Spence could never move him off his spot. And it just, again, Crawford was just in the absolute zone. Like, you talk about athletes that are in the zone. He was in the zone last night. He looked so, he looked beyond comfortable in that ring. Like, when I mean comfortable, like I said, I've never seen a boxer look as comfortable fight it wasn't it was a fight but it wasn't it was like huh eh. it was he, look, he made it look so easy that it seemed effortless um uh, in that ring again again against a world championship boxer here spence is a big Spence is a top five pound for pound boxer. still is to my in my opinion i still think highly of errol Spence. he just ran into a guy that's just right now is we have to say pound for pound is the best fight in the world like i don't think that you know should be can be disputed at this point. Um, I know fans of Canelo, I know fans of Tyson Fury may differ, but this is the guy right now. And Spence, um, there was some now there was some talk that Spence was de- not dehydrated, but I guess the opposite of dehydrated, uh, like to um, where he was, yeah, so. I'm trying to think about who said this. Uh, Deontay Wilder said that he thought Spence was too was too uh, dehydrated, and he said he his skin didn't look right. He didn't seem like himself. Um, so I thought that was I found that curious. Um, I found a couple other boxes say that Spence physically didn't look himself. I again I didn't hear it. Spence made no excuses whatsoever. Uh he took you know, took his you know, t- took his ass whipping like a man, took his and handled himself, conducted himself um, you know, as a straight professional. Um you know what I mean? I'm pulling up with, with, with uh Deontay Wilder. Uh it says it seemed like Aaron was a little drain. Um Okay, here it was. He says, I really think error was over dehydrated. You could see it in his skin and in his eyes. Um so and and there were a couple other people who said that uh one person said Spence looked like a zombie from the movie the night and light and dead. They said his skin looked pale. Um said that he was, you know, so he said that uh some well somebody said that he shouldn't have been in the ring. Um So, you know, it happens. Like, again, remember, so, uh, you know, remember, he, they say he had, has been in, uh, you know, wherever. Like, I, I again, I don't think, like, I don't think, you know, we're not making excuses, but these are some so many things that boxers, these are professional, that some of the other boxers and people close, people um, who are at the fight. I've someone that actually was at the fight, and they said that, uh, that he that Spence looked tired. So this is this has been a a, a narrative just that's been going around uh, since this fight, since the fight ended, and I've heard more than one. So, but regardless of that, you saw you witnessed one of the great boxing performances of all time, easily. Like it's not it's not even a question to me. And now it's gonna be it'd be curious to see where both fighters go from here. Uh, Spence is talking about saying that that will be his last fight at one forty seven. He's gonna move up, so, so I'm thinking about you know the Charlo Butters, the Charlo Butters, and that which is a whole other story. Jamal Charlo getting smacked by Caleb Plant. I don't get it. with boxing, you just never know. I don't know if that was it. Didn't look staged, but was, I I wouldn't be surprised with boxing. You just I I just can't. You just can't trust boxing and what they'll do to try to sell a fight or try to start a, start something to to promote. Uh, Jamel, uh, Jamel Charlo. We'll be fighting, of course, uh, November, not November, September 30th against Canelo. Um, so you know, I to me, the dream fight is Crawford Canelo. That to me is the dream fight. I know everybody's going to talk about Crawford Charlo eventually, but I I, I really want to see Crawford against Canelo in the future. I don't, wanna, I frankly, I don't want to see Spence and Crawford again. I, I think what like. Listen, rematch is a re- he has a rematch clause. Spence has exercised that rematch clause, um, and it will be at 154. Even Crawford said it he, he was hard for him to make weight at 147, so it, they do fight, it would be at 154. But I can't – like, what I saw last night, I don't – just can't see what <laughs> – like, what else – maybe it – you know, maybe the conditioning was a factor. Maybe he wasn't physically well, but I, I, I don't – like – I'm not excited about a rematch. Like when is that decisive? Like that decisive. That's not just like a like a, a knockout. Whatever you like this, that was worse than a knockout. Like you could knock somebody, anybody, could be knocked out. So that could just be not so much a lucky punch, but just just a a, a flash knockout or something. Like a knockout is different. That was what he did to Spence was actually worse, much worse than a knockout. I frankly myself would not want to see a rematch. Now, I thought. Before the fight, that they were going to fight three times. I thought that it would be, and I thought Crawford was going to win the fight. I thought he was going to win a close fight. But I thought I did pick a draw. I, let me check that. I picked a draw. But if somebody did win, I thought it would be a close decision, like a split decision, something like that. And that would set up uh, a possible trilogy. I don't see that anymore. I don't see that, to be honest with you. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think they're going to fight again. I think that with the prospects of Canelo, the Charlos, out there, those guys, you know, even like a killer plant, some of those guys that that possibly out there, I, I think that they're. I I don't know how much juice a second fight would have in terms of selling. I, I really think that Crawford kind of knocked knocked the life out of a possible rematch from that standpoint. And of course, Spence is going to want a rematch. I mean, he's going to want to redeem himself, but you know, if you're Crawford, yeah. That's something. Is something that offered would desire when you beat the guy that decisively? No, it's not like Canelo and Triple G. Those fights were close, and those first couple of fights, I thought Triple G won, so that gave Canelo more incentive to like let me. Like people think I lost, so we need to fight again. Remember, the first fight was a draw. The second fight, Canelo Triple G fight, was a close. was a close win by Triple, by Canelo, which I thought Triple G won that fight. And then the third one was was decisive uh, in twelve rounds by Canelo. Canelo clearly won that fight than when they fought last, I think last September. Um, so that was different. But when this this one sided like I'm trying to think, of, like what's been what's been a, just a what's when was the last time the guys fought uh, had a rematch with one guy, just completely dominated the other guy, and there was a rematch in a, in recent memory. I'm trying to think. I'm sure that it has happened. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Certainly not at this level with these two guys. I mean, this that was a historic... That had as much hype going to a fight uh, over the last 10 years. That was a, as much as a hype of a fight. Uh, probably since Canelo, uh, Canelo and Triple G, and probably even more so than that. Um, you may even go back to Mayweather uh, Pacquiao, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. So... Again, Crawford delivers just one of the great, one of the great performances that you will ever see, uh, in a boxing ring. Period. Period. And if you haven't seen the fight, you didn't, if You weren't able to see the fight live. You can certainly, I would watch it on YouTube or something just to see. Just or just watch the highlights. You don't have to watch the whole fight, but just it was artistry. Like Crawford was like painting. Uh, it was like a, that ring was like a canvas, and he was painting all over uh, Errol Spence's face. So. During the football season, during when Rob, I had Rob Sepp on, um, we would have a category called "Who Won the Week." Now, very now, this this will be a tough one. This would be a tough one because I could go Terrence Crawford, or I can go to the next gentleman we're about to talk about, and that is Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown signs a contract, made official for five years, three hundred four million dollars. He will average sixty million dollars a year. The last year, the contract will pay him basically $70 million. Uh, he's only 26 years old. Um, largest contract in NBA history um, for at least for now, for at least a couple months until possibly, until probably Giannis signs his Supermax, or I don't even or maybe even Anthony Davis. He's up, he's, uh, he's, Max extension. I don't think Anthony Davis is going to be a supermax. Because I don't. He didn't make All NBA, so he won't get as much. Uh, he won't be eligible for that that type of deal. He'll get a supermax, but not to Jalen Brown's. Uh, not to uh, what Jalen Brown got. Giannis will. Giannis will get probably. You'll see Giannis get like five years, three hundred twenty million, similar to what Jason Tatum will receive next summer. So listen, he's not going to be the highest-paid player for long. But I think we were asking, like, the wrong question. First of all, this, it's is absolute no-brainer. You signed Jalen Brown because he plays a position that is the premier position in the NBA right now, and that's the wing position. It is the premier position because there are just not that many guys that are on that level that are between 6'6 and 6'10". That can do what Jalen Brown can do on uh, both sides of the ball, like as two way players. This guy last year averaged 26 points. He's an excellent rebounder and he's a above average defensive player. Period. He like, so this is not even like it's just yes, you signed that guy. Um I hear a lot of talk about well, you can get what if you had Mikael Bridges, or what if you had like uh Andrew Wiggins? Then your team, then you would lose. And you wouldn't you wouldn't be in the Eastern Conference Finals every year. You wouldn't be championship contenders. Okay. Those players are not on the level of Jalen Brown. They're just not. So again, you can have two players making this type of money on your team. Period. You'll have Jalen Brown, they'll have they're gonna have Jason Tatum. The key is Filling out, the rest of the, filling out the rest of the roster. If you have two of those, and by the way, having those two guys, having those two guys, you should be able to fill out the rest of the roster and have a championship contender. Even paying those guys super max money. When you have two of the top, I would say 15 to 20 players and one of those guys being legitimately a top five, top seven to top five player in Jason Tam. They're both young. They're both only going to get better and to me, it was absolutely no brainer. Uh, I went through the NBA and looked at how many number twos are as good as J- are as good as Jalen Brown. How many number two players? And for my during my research, what I found was not only there not only that that list is short for guys who are who are even who I would even take who who are even candidates. Well, I wouldn't even even put it on the same level. Most of the guy, like ninety five percent of the league, is not are guys that is not even close. Pete Jalen Brown is better than ninety five percent of the number twos in the league. I would say probably ninety eight percent of the number twos in the league. There are some guys that will be candidates over Jalen Brown that that you could possibly make a case for taking taking over Jalen Brown as a number two player. Jamal Murray. Devin Booker, Anthony Davis, and Paul George. Now, would I take Jamal Murray or Jalen Brown? No. Why? Because I can find a point guard. guard, The point guard position is the most learned position in the NBA right now. There are more quality point guards. There are more quality point guards than there are any position in the league right now. It's easy to find a point guard. So I, like, just on that alone... I'm not taking, uh, I wouldn't take Jalen Brown with Jamal Murray. And I love Jamal Murray's game. Plus, he's had, you know, had a couple years ago, had a a knee injury that kept him out basically almost two years. Got to take that consideration. Jalen Brown's never hurt. Plays, shows up, plays every game. Never hurt. Devin Booker. Devin Booker would probably, I'll just list Devin Booker probably would be somebody who you could make a case for And if you chose Devin Booker, I wouldn't have a major problem with it. But if I put Devin Booker on Boston, defensively, is Devin Booker as good as Jalen Brown? Probably not. Jalen Brown, Devin Booker better offensive than Jalen Brown? Probably. I could make a case that that's a wash. So you're going to make a case for any guy, probably would be Devin Booker. I could see Devin. I like that. But that's it. Anthony Davis, no. Injury, Two, he's, he's injured all the time. And would he be a better fit? Yeah, he would be a great fit with Boston. But he, I can't – he's always – he's never on the floor. Never on, I mean, you're not making long playoff runs if your second-best player is constantly, uh, constantly injured. And same thing with Paul George. Paul George, you know, Paul George has some age on him right now. He's excellent when he plays, but he's starting to get up there in terms of he's missed a lot of he has missed a lot of time in recent uh in recent memory. Um, especially since he's been with the Clippers. I can't tr- I really can't trust Paul George is going to be on the floor, to be honest with you. Again, yeah, excellent player. Uh kind of redeemed himself last year when uh when Kawhi was out. Um and they made that run, you know, made that run uh, to the playoffs. And you know, he played, had some good moments, played well a couple of years ago against uh, against Phoenix in the play in the postseason. Um, so he's had some postseason success when he's been on the floor. The problem is he has not been able to stay on the floor. The point is, I there's only one guy in essence, one other number two player who I can make a strong case for being a better player than Jalen, being a better number two than Jalen Brown. With that being said, then it's an absolute no brainer that you sign Jalen Brown and just build around Taylor and Brown and go from there. Remember, Boston has won a lot of games with the lads since Jalen Brown's been there. Since Jalen Brown has been a Boston Celtics, they have, they have done nothing but win. Whereas Eastern Conference Finals, whether it's going to the NBA Finals, like their worst playoff result, has been what they were a first round loss to a Brooklyn team, the Brooklyn Super Team, when Brooklyn was playing just out of its mind. You with Durant, Harden, and Kyrie when they, before everything went down and before the injuries, and Brooklyn looked like no one was going to touch them, that they were going to run, run through the playoffs and win the next two or three championships. Remember that, to the, to the 2021? I know, it seems like a long, long, long time ago. But that's the only, that is the only first round loss that they've had in the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum era. They've lived in the conference finals. And, of course, they were in the, in the NBA finals two years ago where they were two wins. They were up 2-1 against Golden State. So they're not that. They are legit, legitimate championship contenders. And, again, that wing position in, in the NBA is a position that you just – that that is – it is the most valuable position in basketball right now because you have to have a guy – that can guard multiple positions on the perimeter. You have to have a guy like you have to have a guy like of, of that magnitude on your on, on your team. And Jalen Brown can guard anywhere from two to three positions. He can match up with the other team's opposing best wing. He could take pressure off Jason Tatum from that standpoint. So um, I don't know what the hubbub was about. Again, we really, I think people got way too caught up in the fact that Jalen Brown became the highest paid player in NBA history. Or, people say, "Well, is Jalen by actually a top player in the league?" He actually is a top player in the league because he's around top. He made All NBA. So, if you make an All NBA team, you are amongst the top fifteen players in the league. Period. So that's not even you know. This is not. This is not Mike Conley Junior. Remember when Mike Conley Junior was the highest paid player back in the day? because of all the things that everything just went right as far as him, as far as just with the salary cap spike and. The fact that, you know, that Memphis could not draw free agents. So they almost, in a way, had to give uh Mike Conley like the highest paid contract in NBA history for about for about a year or so he would until I think Steph Curry. So he was so for, for like a year, he was the highest paid player in NBA history. And Mike, I don't think Mike Conley ever made all NBA, by the way. But they are you understood the deal because uh, because of the circumstances that Memphis, Memphis was in, and by the way, Memphis had success in the Mike Conley era, the Gruden grind, They were in the playoffs every year. They made it to the second round a few times. They made it to our Eastern Conference Finals. So that, it, even though the contract probably he probably wasn't worth that Supermax contract, I never thought Mike Conley Jr. as a Supermax player, you could make a case for that contract considering the circumstances and the the events. The amount of uh, what went into what went into that. Uh Jalen Brown last year was the, uh second team all in the NBA. So he wasn't third he was second team all in the NBA, which means that he was amongst the best top 10 players in the league last year. So for those you who complained about Jalen Brown, uh was he one is he even one of the best players in the league? Well, last year he was one of the top ten players in the league last year. Period. Two-time all-star. Um, and again, the team has done nothing but win, uh, but win since uh, he's entered the league. Their play. Let me look at, and this is what really matters how you impact winning. Boston Celtics in playoff series since Jalen Brown entered the, league, enter, entered, entered the league. Boston Celtics are 12 and six, 12 and six in the playoffs. They've never lost in the first round of a playoff series, never, 6 and 0. So they're minimal. They are minimum. They they they're gonna to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. semis at worst. Five and one in the East Conference semis. And again, one and four in the East Conference. They've been in the East Conference Finals uh four times. Again, they've lost. The, the only bad one that they've had was last year. That was the bad one. Because they were clearly a better team than Miami. But the other ones, you know, they weren't as good as those Cleveland teams with LeBron. Um and they weren't as good as Miami was in 2020. To be honest with you, you know what I'm saying this team has had a lot of success uh, during Jalen Brown's time with during J- Jalen Brown's ten years with the team, and he's been a big part of that. Again, he's like, like look at everything he does do. So, you know, and I, what I understand, people bring up the dribbling or lack of the ball handling, the turnovers. There are some things that he can clean up, but. It, Think about what he does do. You're talking about a guy who can get you 25 a game. You're talking about a guy who can get you six to eight rebounds again. You're talking about a guy again that is going to be dependable, as going that does not get hurt, and that 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 is a big deal in the NBA today in today's NBA, and of load management and guys that just can't stay on the floor. Especially like I mean, a number of star players have had trouble staying on the floor. Uh, with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, um, Joel Embiid. I can go on and on. Go, I can. The list, I can go on and on and on. How many star players have had trouble staying on the floor? This guy and him and tate them both. They they play there every game. They are there every game, just about. So that's something that you can't discount. Um Again, Boston's on the clock. I the one the one thing I heard also that you know kind of baffles me is the fact that well you know what about five years from now the NBA is not about. There's no five year plan for the NBA anymore. Yeah, if you are a championship caliber team, you are on a year-to-year basis. You like you're, you're like you are playing for a champion. Like you're there's the the time is now for Boston. It's about what can we do to put to win a championship right now. You're not worrying about 2027, 2029, 2030. You are worrying about 2023, 2024. Period. Period. like that's not. You can't think about the future. The future is now for Boston. The future is now for Golden State. The future is now for Denver. The future is now for Milwaukee. The future is now for Miami. The future is now for the Lakers. Those teams who have championship aspirations. The future is now for the Clippers. Which is a, which is a whole other story, but you know, they'll say that for another day. So this contract is absolutely a no-brainer to me. No brainer to me. Um, will Will you finish the contract? We'll see. We'll see. I mean I would really, like it's again, this contract will if he stays healthy, the contract will be fine. He's not going his his play is not going to decline. He's in it, he's twenty six years old. He can only get better. Um and these numbers in terms of salaries, the salary cap will continue to go up. The television money will come in. So this contract will look like it'll look like a seemingly for a super max deal, it's gonna seem it's gonna look regular in a couple of years, if not sooner. Well, trust me, 2024, 2025, you, we will not even be talking about this contract unless unless he gets traded. We're going to continue our series of looking at hip-hop at 50, looking at albums and moments that define hip-hop, that have defined hip-hop over the last 50 years. This is a very, this album holds a very, very special place in my heart. The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill um it came out in august of 1998 uh before we get into the album uh there's a lot (laughs) but i mean there's a lot of stories that went that uh led up to his album of stories that uh preceded the album of stories that came after the album so this is a little background i mean everybody knows who lauren hill is and, and what transpired as far as you know her walking away from music and only making this one this one album basically that was that was it uh she came in like basically like haley's comet um but before she made this album she of course was a part of the Fugees. the fuji's of course were one of the most successful hip-hop groups in the history we're talking in 1996 Uh, she started recording this album in '97. In 1996, the Fuji's were the biggest hip hop group in in the game. They were coming off the score. The score was one of the best hip hop albums of the decade. They won uh numerous Grammy nominations and sold a, a a shitload of albums. And they were the it hip hop group. Period. Point blank. Outcast was not outcast yet. They were. They were. They were big, but they were not what we would. They were not what they would come to turn out to be, and Tribe Called Quest was was older at that point, so it was the Fugees, and now it was the Fugees, and the Fugees stood alone. Period. Um. So leading into this album, the Fuji's basically imploded from within. Um. Lauren wanted to do her own thing. She wanted to be in. The, she wanted. She was gearing towards being a solo artist. As it anyway. Uh, we all knew how talented she was. Um, how talented she was as an MC. Uh, she was, we basically had never seen, like, we had never seen, we had never seen anything like Lauren Hill even before she made the, miseduc- even before Education came out as far as someone who could sing and rap at that level. But like, we had, like that, that was, so we knew what the talent, we knew the type of talent she possessed. Um, And it only made sense that uh, she would go the solo route. Uh, we saw, you know, Beyonce, you know, break off from Destiny's Child, do her own thing, and I mean, you know, that's pretty much commonplace in the history of music. You know, Lionel Richie, Chaka Khan. We can go, I can go on and on with how many great solo acts start out with groups um, and turn out and would turn out to do their own thing and, and go the solo route. The story that went behind this was. Just wild. So Lauren was having an affair with Wyclef. This is all true. This is not gossip. This is true. These are facts. These are, <laughs> Lauren was having an affair with Wyclef. Wyclef at the time was married. And that kind of like, and it got to a point where Lauren basically says, Look, I be, I can't. Besides wanting to do her, besides her own ambition, want to do her own thing. That relationship just couldn't she couldn't do which she couldn't be in a group with somebody that she in essence was fucking like that's I mean, that goes without saying uh especially being you know being a married man so she has a um she's pregnant and then you have a situation where wyclef basically accused lauren i get i don't know if this is true or not but this wyclef accused lauren hill of of making making it seem like it was his baby uh that make it seem like it was his baby, and of course, it turns out it wasn't. It was she, you know, was with Roy and Marley, who used to play for the Miami Hurricanes back day, if you remember, my sports fans out there. So it was a whole bunch of shit going on, a whole bunch of shit going on. Again, the Fugees imploded within. Lauren walks away from the Fugees. She allows them to use her vocals on 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 the score, so they can get they got. So you know, she did that. And she goes into the studio and starts making one of the definitive albums of the decade, and one of the best albums, frankly, in the last twenty-five years. Uh, This album, uh, this album, won five Grammys. It was Album of the the Year, which is very rare in hip hop. To show you how rare it is in hip hop, the only album that's won the only album of the year in hip hop. Since Lauryn Hill was uh, outcast in two thousand four, with Speaker Box and the Love Below, so rarely does hip hop ever win an album of the year. Matter of fact, they those that's the list in terms of like in the history of the Grammys, Lauryn Hill and Outcast are only two hip hop albums that have one album of the year. Now we've had other artists like you know Stevie Wonder, Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, of course, of all won album of the year. Album year, respectively, but in terms of hip hop, that's the list. Lauryn Hill and um, Lauryn Hill and Outkast, in terms of hip hop, 20 million, 20 million copies of this album was sold worldwide. It debuted at number one with four hundred twenty-two thousand copies, um, which was the at the time the most by any female artist. Um, here's what here's what Mary J. Blige uh, said about the album. One of the most incredible albums, one of the most incredible albums I've uh one of the most incredible albums ever made. That's Mary J. Blige. And remember, 1998, Mary J. Blige was, you know, almost 10 years in the game. I mean, Mary J. Blige, this is coming from Mary J. Blige. I mean, this after all the success that she had, had uh with what's the 411 and my life and what have you. And she of course has some did some vocals on the album. Uh some of the people that were on this album, yeah, Mary J. Blige did some vocals. Yeah, a, a relatively unknown pian pianist named John Legend, D'Angelo, Carlos Santana. Um, as far as uh, as far as known acts that that you know would become obviously well known musical acts in the in the world of music at the time. D'Angelo was at the time. Remember, he's coming off Brown Sugar, so he he was well known at the time. Of course, Carlos Santana was a is a legend and was a legend then. Uh, in terms of her production crew, that's the difference. That's where she kind of separated herself because the production crew in this album was relatively unknown. She took up some some relatively unknown people, took people, she didn't go the, the traditional route, track masters or some of these big labels per se. She went she went with her own sound, independent. Mm. Really went independent. And that really separated her in this album from the rest of the music music that was being made. Um Here's what here's what she said about what she wanted to accomplish with the album. This is, is Lauren Hill. I was raised on music that was recorded before technology advanced to the place where it could be it could be smooth. I want to hear that thickness of sound. You can't get that from a computer because a computer is too perfect. But the human element, that's what what makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. So she you know you I mean, if you listen to the album you could just hear the difference in production versus most of the albums that were coming out during that time and remember this is 1998 1998 we're, like we are in the midst of just a, a golden age of music in terms of R&B and hip hop in general like the 90s were to me and again I'm I'm biased cuz that was my decade but the 90s I I don't think there's been a better musical decade that I with that that I've, in real time that I've witnessed in the 90s. Like, the 90s, you talk about if you didn't, especially in hip-hop and rap, if you didn't come out with a classic, then you just might as well not even come out at all. Like, that's how serious it was in terms of competition uh, as far as musically and and hip-hop and and R&B. This album was an hour and 17 minutes. Um, I listened to this album in preparation uh, for this pot for this for this podcast, and I want to tell you, it took me back to 1998. Took me back to Temple University. I purchased this album right before school started. Um, everybody had this album. You can go. To, you went to the dorm rooms or the dorm uh, floors. Everybody was playing it, and to a point to where it was like, <laughs> it almost you almost had to. <laughs> It almost uh, so I, again, I wasn't on campus that year, which probably was a good thing from a, from a standpoint of the album of listening to the album because I didn't hear it as much because uh, I, you know, was uh, stayed off campus that year. But this album changed the game um, from a standpoint of just again. I never you never heard a album like this from someone we've never seen a talent as unique like this lauren hill as a singer songwriter um and mc more importantly there's never been a there's never been a talent like lauren hill that combination of singer uh of singer and and rap of singer and mc like and we've had, and again, there've been some talented guys, talented ones, more talented people that you that you realize that, that have sung and rapped. Like Queen Latifah is was is a whole legend. If you mean, I feel, and we, everybody knows Queen Latifah as uh, a rapper, uh, and some you know some of the hits she came out with back in the day. Queen Latifah can sing her ass off. She's a classical jazz singer. She she has jazz albums that have sold millions of copies. Like just just tremendous talent just all around uh acting as well. You know, I hate to say it, but Drake, dope singer. Probably I make a case Drake might be a better singer than MC. No, probably not. I'm just messing around. But Drake, Missy Elliott. So there have been some there have been some people who have had that combination of and Kanye to a lesser extent. People don't want to say it, but Kanye West is a pretty it's actually his his vocals are you listen to some. You listen to his albums. He does. He does some of the vocals, and they're good. And they they that actually real good. I'm not saying Kanye can sing. Uh, can carry a tune where he can carry a song singing, but he does vocals other than doing MCN. But no one, and I mean no one, to me, has has ever. We've never seen, uh, that mix, that combination of of, of MCing and singing, like. If Lauren Hill, Lauren Hill, without question, is the greatest is the greatest female MC of all time. Like it's not even, it's without question. Like as far as skill, as far as skill, it's not like it's not even the issue. There's nobody, there's no female MC that can spit like Lauren Hill. No, no one. And you go back and listen to Fuji's album. You go back, you go back and listen to Fuji's. You don't know, I mean that. She was like the star that's... I mean, again, Wyclef was a talented producer. Wyclef is very talented in terms of the production all that. We know Wyclef, how dope he was. Proz was the third wheel. Let's get... Let's, I mean, let's be honest. Proz was, Proz was absolutely the third wheel. Lauren Lill Lauren was the Fugees. She was the straw that she made the Fugees go, period. She separated the food. She took the Fugees to a whole nother level from a standpoint of, 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 of the skill and just the artistry. And that's one thing. And I mean, we even had Nas, you know, kind of basically saying that Lauren was a top MC, like not like this is Nas talking. And there's like I'm saying, if Lauren focused, if her focus was on rap and nothing else, she would be unquestionably one of the greatest rappers of all time, male or female. Like if she zeroed in on rap and continued to make music, she like it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be, we wouldn't be we would be talking about Lauren Hill. Up there with Nas, with Nas and Jay-Z and Kendrick and Biggie and all and all those and all those people. Without question. And again, for all due respect to the female MCs, MC lights, the uh Queen Latifas, you know, whoever you, you want to throw in, you want to throw in Nicki Minaj, Lil Kim. It's nobody, there's no one that's ever compared. Roxanne, you know, Roxanne Shantae for the you know, for the older generation. No one is Lauren Hill as an MC. No female artist, no one. No, it's not it's not again, it's, it's not even a Debate uh, to me, and you know, this album. I was listening to this album, so just to go through this album, right? You have well, this album had 16 tracks, right? First five tracks, you know, do they do the intro, lost ones, X Factor, Zion, do wop So, immediately, home run, home run, home run, home run, like just off the bat. Zion featuring Carlos Santana. All those songs, like five songs off the bat, no doubt, like no doubt about it, hits per se. Then you kind of see the album sells in, Superstar, Final Hour, Hurt So Bad. Again, no, there are no skippable songs on this album to me. None. This album is seven hundred. This, again, this album is an hour and 17 minutes. That's that is in. That's a long time for an album. That's not a double CD. It's an, an hour and seventeen minutes for a single album. It's a long time into well in today's age, maybe not in the late early to mid nineties. Um, so the album settles in, superstar final hour when it hurts so bad, and even like, and I'll and I get I'll give you the, the last the last five songs. Nothing even matters. Everything is everything. Miseducation, Lauren Hill, can't take minds off of you. Tell him. So, again, she begins with five nuclear weapons, in essence, and she ends the album with five nuclear weapons. And in between, oh, by the way, in between, her in between would be better than probably 80% of albums out there, in general. It's like her in, the in between stuff, in between those 10 uh, those 10 no doubters like this album was this album basically was the perfect album in essence it was in essence the perfect album it was the album that i can make a case that was the best album period of the decade of 90s and and frankly i one of the best albums that i've ever heard in any musical genre that's how that is the level of this album and i again i I've probably listened to this album as much as I've listened to any album in my life. In my lifetime, I've probably listened to this album more than any other album, period. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you. And, you know, what transpired after the album, in regards to her career, uh, of course, remember, everybody talks about Zion, Zion, which was her first child. She was up, she had she had five kids by uh rowan marley and of course we all know she only made this one album she walks away from music there was some legal disputes in regards to some of her people's producers um suing her for not giving them credits for not giving them song credits that they went to a whole legal lit- litigation at like after this album came out or years after this album came out they were it was uh they did a lot of uh legal battles with her own people people that she a, you know, assigned a, a to work with her producers and, and what have you, and you know, you look at Lauren Hill, and you look at everything that transpired with the Fugees, and what ended up transpiring, even with some of the legal battles that she went through with her own people, with this album, and you think to yourself, just she just was not meant to have a long, just, it's, it was inevitable that she was not going to have a long career. And I think that there are certain there are certain people that, especially artists, that are so gifted and so they're, they're, again they're like Haley's comment they are a rarefied air that they the ability to create at a certain level for an extended period of time is just not possible. It's just not possible, and you know she was a known perfectionist. Man, let's be honest again she had five kids she has five kids like you know to, I, to all the mothers out there you know what it is to have just one child and how that affects your career and changes your, your life uh imagine and i think that i never got the sense from stuff that you read, read that i read and things that you heard about that she never was comfortable with being in the spotlight and she never was coming, like, she sounds, she, it seems to me like she is one of these artists that just wanted to create her music and just go home to her family. Or she wanted the music, she wanted the, just the music, but didn't want everything that encompasses being a musical, not just a musician, but being a superstar, being one of the most famous artists, you know, famous people in the, at the time when this comes out, Lauren Hill is one of the biggest, maybe was one of the biggest things in music when this comes out. Like she was, head, she was ahead of that trajectory of that she was going to be one of the biggest stars in all of music. And I don't think she wanted any part of that attention. And mind you, this is pre-social media era. So if she wasn't built for it for the pre-social media era, there's no way because she's only she's still very young like lauren's north hill's not that much older Lauren is about 47 48 if that i don't think she's 50 yet um as far as especially for a musical creator like you could create music and uh, and act and things of that nature for you know for seemingly forever if you have that type of especially with that type of talent but i don't think that she every like she couldn't handle the social media era. She couldn't handle the attention. Just every everybody just basically watching you, watching your every move, your every word. That just she wasn't cut out for that. She never was, and it, like this is not for her. It never will be. It's just that, and I think that obviously that could, that um that went into her decision not to make music, um, not to make music. And I think you know when you make an album. That is considered like people when when this album came out, people were already talking about like this is one of the best albums of the decade. That this is this was rare. This album was was on a rarefied air, was in rare air as far as of how good it was or how great it was. There's a lot of internal pressure. I can only imagine to to do a follow up like that. It has to be like can I you know you start questioning. I'm sure you start questioning yourself as a creator. How can I can you know? Is it possible for me to to, to even come close to to repeat this type of success or making another album like that? So I'm sure that went into um her decision to just stop making music. But again, yeah, I I know everything. Lauryn Hill was ever long to have a to have a long career. Uh, think about the Fugees. The Fugees run was not that long. It wasn't. You compare it to some of the you know other hip hop groups. Over the course, some of the other legendary hip hop groups, you know, like Run DMC and uh, Tribe Called Quest, and those, good, uh, Outcasts that were get that were together for you know a, close to well over a decade, and, and you know Run DMC over a decade, just they they had a short like it was like again it was a short they had a great run, but it was relatively a short run, it just wasn't that long. But again, this is one of the that's the albums this is, you know, in terms of, you know, this is as good as album as you will ever hear. Uh, It is aged extremely well. There are albums, there are albums that come out that people consider classics that just frankly have not aged. Well, this, this one ages like fine. Like this one has aged like fine wine. It's only going to get better because of how much just any any artist that goes, that digs deep and unless you inside of them, from an introspective, uh, from an introspective, that is introspective, and just, she lets you inside of her, in turn, you look at some of these songs, you know, I Used to Love Him, was about Cliff, Lost Ones was about the Fujis and all that, all that shit that went, that went on, Zion, Zion's about the, her son, so she really lets you inside of who she was, in a, in a vulnerable, and a beautiful way, and that, that is something, you know, similar to like Richard Pryor, you know, uh, at the Sunset Strip, uh, with his comedy, just that's just something that just when when somebody when a creator creative taps into that, that is just next level, and that's when you combine that with the talent, uh, you have get, again one of the best albums uh, in the last fifty in all in the hip in the history of hip hop. It is, it is. I would say for the nineties, In the nineties you had so many classics in the nineties, but the two definitive albums of the nineties to be. That stand out are Illmatic and in this in uh Miseducation Hill those are two if you guys were the two the best album the best hip-hop albums of the 90s those are the two albums that stand out so real thoughts um happy to see that Ronnie James is doing much better of course last last week there was a just got a tremendous scare um with the cardiac arrest um luckily uh thank God that someone was there that and he wasn't working out by himself um or, you know, it could have turned out a different way. Um, he was, LeBron posted him playing piano. So, you know, he's at home in good spirits, walking around, up and about. Then, um, you know, short, you know, certainly look, looks to be seemingly going to make a full recovery. Um, the heart is something that just is not to be played with at all. Like, I, I encourage anybody, male, female, uh, you know, just going to a doctor. Um, you know, and I, again, this you know, this kid is this young man is 18 years old in tip-top shape. It's LeBron James' son, but you know, it doesn't matter. Like it can it can hit anytime. We saw you know Devin uh, Hamlin, DeMar Hamlin last year with that situation that, that almost turned that almost could have been fate could have ended fatally if it wasn't for the, the medical staff and how close the hospital was and um uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, so you know these things happen with athletes. You know these cardiac arrests, like you get hit in, You know conditioning things of that nature, some things of that nature, somewhat, somewhat doesn't matter. Uh, when when something like that's gonna hit, we've seen athletes uh get affected by this um who or in tip top shape and again fortunate for him. You know, hopefully moving forward that this was just a a just a one a, a complete one off and. That uh, they found out what it exactly where it stemmed from, and uh, you know, tre- and certainly he's going to get the best medical condition, medical treatment that money could buy. Is, you know, is LeBron James, but you know, I just hope that he can have a productive, not basketball career, but more importantly, a productive life in general uh, that goes beyond basketball. Because you start talking about the heart, that is, there's nothing to play with whatsoever, but. He seems to be in again. Seems to be uh, doing well. Um, I don't know what's up with y'all fans. Uh, I don't. I really don't understand what's what's going on. What's up with y'all fans um, at these concerts? Uh, and what I'm talking about: uh, a woman who her her water bottle that she was drinking out of at Cardi B in in pure Cardi B fashion. Cardi B hit her to, uh, uh basically Randy Johnson her ass an old baseball pitcher reference and hit her, right? Hit her. In the, hopefully, I hope she hit her in the, with with a microphone. I hope, I hope, I mean, it looked like she hit the same, hit the same girl that threw it at her. I hope she did. Cause you know, fans, you, 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 y'all gotta stop this shit. Man. I mean, I gotta stop this shit. Like, like Cardi, first of all, Cardi B is not the one. Like, don't... Cardi B is from the Bronx. Cardi B will cut you. I'm surprised Cardi B didn't jump in the... I'm really surprised that Cardi B didn't, didn't jump in the stands and beat the shit out of the girl. I tried to beat the shit out of the girl. I'm really... I'm shocked. Like, I'm sure she will. I'm sure it took everything. Look, okay, at Cardi B is a very smart business savvy. Like, she, she's about her money. She's about her business. So she's not, like, going to do something that jeopardizes her whole livelihood. She got a couple kids. She, she's, you know, forward-thinking from that standpoint. But I know... I know if you know Cardi B and how Cardi B used to move, and Cardi B being from the Bronx, you know Cardi B is not the one for that shit. Like you know, that's not like you know she wanted to jump in the stands and, and, and rip this girl through one. Like you, and like and I'm sure it took everything. I'm sure I like if she had, if she didn't have kids, I think she would have jumped in the stands. I, I really think if she wasn't a mother, a mother of two kids, she would have jumped in the stands. Like, I'm sure she had a split second in her mind to say, like, I'm jeopardizing my kids' financial futures if I I go in and kill this bee. I'm sure she said it to herself. I'm sure she said it to herself. But y'all fans, the bottom line is y'all fans got to get your shit together. Uh, And you can't say, I mean, it's disrespectful. It's disgusting on top of it. and. That if that girl got hit in the head with the microphone, she absolutely 1000% deserved it. I hope she got hit in the head with the microphone. Really, like you can't do no shit like that and expect someone not to react. Um, and getting her, getting escorted by security, out by security, or getting banned from a concert that's not enough. She actually needed to get touched by another girl. Let me, let's keep that in mind. And Cardi B, hopefully, touched her with that microphone. So, um, yeah, that. I'm, I i want to wait on the Ice cube stuff I I had a st- I had I had a segment on Ice cube that I just felt like I wasn't ready it just wasn't polished enough I, I want to give it it's full uh, I I want to give yeah I want to give because I, I have a few things about Ice cube it's not it's they're not good per se one of you know hip-hop doing the great hip-hop artists and icons of this generation of, of you know the previous generation but he's he's going in the wrong direction. So I'm going to say that for later, maybe even uh, do that uh, on on the next sports show uh, that we do. I'm going to lose one more Snowfall podcast before I have my last mini summer break. So that will be coming out. This will be coming out tomorrow. That one will be coming out Tuesday. So you'll get that. Then we'll get a mini break. I'll do a mini break another mini break and then we'll be back at it ready for football and what have you that's going to wrap it up for this latest edition this 900th edition of the Real Deal podcast enjoy the rest of your weekend and your upcoming week so long